you guys got your Bibles, please open up your Bibles. We're going to dig into God's Word today. Again, welcome to Refuge Fellowship. It's great to have everyone here. Merry Christmas. So last week, we studied in Luke as Jesus returned to his hometown. And what happened? He was rejected. Now, the people, they didn't believe the testimony of Jesus as he proclaimed the prophecy in Isaiah. Remember chapter 61, verses 1 and 2? He stood up and said, it is fulfilled. And they rejected that. And then last week, after we went through that teaching, we actually had communion, or the Lord's Supper last week. And we took that, and I reminded all of us, because it was really heavily on my heart also, that we were entering a different season here, December. A sweet December, Christmas season, the holiday season. And this is a time where each of us have just amazing opportunities to share the hope of Jesus with the lost that we may not have during other times in the year. So remember, before we did take communion, I asked something of each one of you. I asked that each of us would examine our relationships. We would examine our relationships first with God and then with those around us. Because my hope, my prayer, that as we enter this season, this time that we can go out and share the hope of Jesus and go out and evangelize, that we would have our relationships right before God and others and then go out from there and be able to share. That if there's anything in our own lives before we would go out, that we would repent. If there's anything in our own lives that would not be pleasing to God, that we would repent of that. And if there's anything that was causing a barrier in any of our relationships between God, our families, or any other person, that we would get rid of that. This is a great season. A great season that we can go out and share the hope of Jesus. And that we can go out equipped by the power of the Holy Spirit and use the gifts that he's given each and every one of you. Each and every one of you have been given different gifts. And we can go out and testify about Jesus. So I know that before we do that, it's always good to really examine yourself and examine your own walk with God and your relationships with others. And so as we begin this Christmas season, that's what I talked about a little bit last week as we closed up this message. And I'll tell you, this week, I hope most of you have done that. I personally had to really examine some things in my life. I was struggling with a few things. I had to, you know, just take it before the Lord. I had to take some, even with some things with my own family. Well, I'll tell you what, this week, there's been a lot of praise reports. We heard some of them this week, today, of how the church has been used to share the gospel here in this country and other countries close by. So praise the Lord. This is a great time, a great season, Christmas season, sweet December. And again, we have lots of opportunities that we normally don't have. And so let's uh, make sure that we can uh, utilize the opportunities that God has given us and utilize the gifts That God has given each one of you. Today, we're going to continue to walk through the story of Jesus' ministry. So first, we're going to pick up in Matthew chapter 4, verse 13. Matthew chapter 4, verse 13. He went first to Nazareth. And then left there and moved to Capernaum, beside the Sea of Galilee, the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. So Matthew here, as he begins, he gives an overview, really is what I would call it. 
an overview explaining as Jesus has traveled to Galilee. Now, Matthew's account for this particular story doesn't give a lot of details of what has taken place as Jesus has traveled in Galilee. We'll study the details in John's account. He gives a lot more details. But Matthew's focus, as many of you know, is much different than John's focus. His main target or idea or theme was to proclaim who Jesus is to the Jewish people. To show them that Jesus has came and has, and fulfilled the prophecy and will continue to fulfill the prophecies written about the Messiah in the scriptures. So Matthew is using details in explaining where Jesus was and where he has gone that would tie back to the prophecies that you see in the scriptures. So let's look at this in verse 14. This fulfilled what God said through the prophet Isaiah. So just as Jesus stated last week, remember we just went over this, Jesus stated that he taught in the synagogue in Nazareth, and then he went and he went back to Isaiah, and he quoted Isaiah 61 verses 1 and 2. And he said, this scripture you've heard has been fulfilled this very day. Now, Jesus was doing this here, but now in Matthew, he's referring to another prophecy in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. Let's look at it here in Matthew in verses 15 and 16. In the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, beside the sea, beyond the Jordan River, in Galilee, where so many Gentiles live. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And for those who lived in the land where death cast a shadow, a light is shined. This place that we see described in verse 15 is a, a people group or a tribe that resided there at the time. Zebulun was the 10th son of Jacob, if you want to go back to the Old Testament. And then Naphtali was the 6th son of Jacob. These areas, they were inhabited by these tribes of people uh, starting back then, which then was referenced by these men. You know, even today you see that happen. I don't know as much Thailand. I'm learning Thailand. I know Myanmar pretty well, but you look at, uh, in Myanmar, it's like the Chin people that live in Chin State. Uh, you see lots of different areas, the Kren, Kreni State, or lots of these different people groups. It goes back, and the name of their different tribal areas are named from the people. Same thing here in the Bible. As we look at these verses, a further detail is actually given about this. It clarifies the exact location of this prophecy. It's by the sea. We know this was actually the Sea of Galilee. It says that the area was beyond the Jordan River, or north of the river known as Galilee. It also mentions that this land was of mixed ethnicities, both Jew and Gentile. So this entire area, I think where a lot of us are familiar, was actually kind of looked down upon from the Jewish people, especially the ones in Judea. They looked down on this area because of its history and because of its mixed ethnicity. In fact, just really quick, take your Bible and let's turn just forward real quick to John. I'll keep your finger there in Matthew, but turn to John chapter 1, 46, just a reminder of this. Nazareth exclaimed Nathaniel, can anything good come from Nazareth? So we remember the people and what they thought of this. And this is just one verse. There's a lot. Turn back to John chapter 4, uh, verse 16. 
the spiritual aspect is also mentioned in these passages. The people's hearts are addressed in these passages. It tells us that they were blind to the spiritual truth. Now, a revelation has come, though. Jesus Christ, the great light as referenced here, has begun to come into this area and bring truth and light and reveal to these people where death had cast its shadow. Isaiah's prophecy has been fulfilled as Jesus, the Messiah, was among them in this dark land. He was revealing to them. They no longer needed to live in darkness or without hope. But, what do you say? He says, but, can they really come to faith and know Jesus? Because it says, he will break the yoke of slavery and lift their heavy burden from their shoulders. That's uh, Isaiah, if you go back to Isaiah. It says, he will free them from sin. Isaiah prophesied about that. So Jesus, the Messiah's ministry in Galilee, was written about beforehand in Isaiah. It was prophesied. Now it was fulfilled. Proving, again, that Jesus is who he said he is. The Son of God. The light had been revealed to these people. So let's read and see what Jesus has to say in verse 17. From then on, Jesus began to preach, Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Again, we see the heart of Jesus' ministry. It's shown through this message. The same message that John the Baptist preached. An urgent call or an order to the people. It's really a warning or a command even. Commanding them to turn from their sins, to turn from the world, to repent of anything that would not be pleasing to God. And it's mentioned here in the scripture. To rid themselves of anything that would come between them and their relationship with God. Then he continues. Once they have repented of their sin, they are to look towards God. Turning all their physical and spiritual abilities or blessings and using them to worship God. To bless God and to share the gospel. So Jesus here, he closed with the reason, right? To worship God. And these instructions that Jesus gives here, they must be done with a urgency. Because the time that these people actually had been looking towards was actually upon them. Jesus had come. Jesus the Messiah had been revealed. So Matthew's focus was to point the Jewish people to Jesus through helping them understand that it was Jesus who was fulfilling these prophecies. Carefully pointing out that Jesus... As he went about his ministry in that area, he met the requirements of the law. He met the messianic prophecies. He fulfilled them. He was proving, Matthew was proving to the Jewish people that Jesus was a Messiah. But next, we're going to look at John's account. Account of the same story. John has a different purpose or a theme to his letter. I believe that he is always pointing to the fact that Jesus is God. Much different theme than Matthew had. John includes a lot more details also of what Jesus did, especially in this particular story. A lot more uh, the miracles, uh, the daily occurrences, the people that were involved. Again, Matthew shared more how Jesus was the fulfillment of the prophecy. But John is going to share more about who Jesus is, that he is God, that he is a Savior. So let's read John's account. And we're going to start in John chapter 4. We're going to look at verse 46 and 47 to begin. 
As he traveled through Galilee, he came to Cana, where he had turned water into wine. There was a government official in a nearby Capernaum whose son was very sick. When he heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went and begged Jesus to come to Capernaum to heal his son, who was about to die. This story wasn't mentioned in Matthew's account, was it? But it is mentioned here in John's account. As you read this story, we read about this official, this, this man. This was the last hope. Uh, he was seeking a miracle, is what I see in this passage. He was seeking Jesus. He was looking for a miracle. This man, he's, we know he was an official, so he had many different resources and money and people available, but he had not found a way to heal his son. I thought of this, and I asked myself, and I think a lot of us have children, what would we do, or what would we give up, or, I mean, what extremes would we go to if one of our children was sick and dying? How far would you go? What lengths would you go to to save them from death? What would you do if maybe if you found something that is a possibility even? How far would you go? As I thought about this, of what I would do as a father, if any of my children were sick, what lengths I would go to, it also crossed my mind to understand this man, this official. We can't look at it through our eyes, though, really, right? Because we're Christians. We have a different view. This man was not a believer at the time. He has a different view. So we got to think of it this way. We need to look at this father looking at his dying son through the eyes of an unbeliever. That's a different view. I can't even imagine. I don't want to imagine. I don't even want to think about it. What it would be like to sit there and watch one of your children dying. Even more horrifying than that would be this man to walk through that without the hope of Jesus. This man faced what I would consider complete hopelessness. This official now, though, he's heard something, hasn't he, as he's walking through that. He's heard about Jesus. He's heard a testimony from others about this Jesus who has been performing a miracle. These people obviously had been sharing about the power that Jesus had. Then what else did he hear? He heard that Jesus was in his area. Because at this time, they believed that he would have to come in person. Imagine this man hearing this news as he's by his son's bedside as his son is dying. He, There's no doubt he saw Jesus as a last hope for the healing of his son. He has already sought all the knowledge of the world with no avail. His son is still dying. You know, I think about today. Many people, they exhaust all the physical solutions that we can come up with of the world. Then... In some point, we finally surrender to try spiritual methods. Unfortunately, not all spiritual methods are good, but hopefully they will seek Jesus. For me, this was a part of my testimony, which I even shared a little bit about last week. I sought all the physical things of the world all my life. All the things that I thought could fix me, they never worked. But I came before Jesus, finally, in complete surrender, and then placed my faith and my hope in Jesus. And again, I shared this last week. It was then that I was a witness to a miracle. The biggest miracle is I was born again and I was freed from my sin. That's a miracle. So back to this story. I think we could all imagine this. This, this man sitting by his son's bedside, hearing this testimony of this Jesus, is performing miracles, and that Jesus was only 20 miles away, up in the mountains, in this city of Cana. We've got a map I want to show you. 
We flip over to that map. Okay, so I want to look at this here. I hope you can read. So Nazareth, you can see, it's clear over there on that side. You can see the mountains. I like this this map because it kind of shows you the topography. And so you see it's very mountainous. So Jesus, he was in Nazareth. He was preaching, right? He ran through the crowds. Then he went to Cana, it says. That's where he performed the wedding. That's where he is now in this story. Then the man, you see the Sea of Galilee? He was there in Capernaum. So you see that's 20 miles from there, from basically the middle of the screen all the way to that left side. But that's not just 20 miles. Look at the mountains. They were big mountains. And somehow I doubt the official was uh, in perfect shape. Um, but just to give you an idea of what this looks like, and we know before Nazareth down there, if you just went straight down, you'd see. Let's go look at the other map. We can pull that one up. Just to give you an idea of this journey, because we're walking with Jesus on this journey. This map actually shows you a good picture. So here, in the prophecy before, they were mentioning of the people groups. You can see here. You can see Cana up there on the left side. Zebulun. Naphtali. And then you can see Pernium. So you can see where these people groups were. I think it's a great reference. There's one more map that I haven't showed yet. There you go. That's just uh, when Jesus came from Jerusalem, from the Passover, if you remember right, then came up to the woman at the well. That's right there. So you can see the little journeys. It's like little jump, little jump, little jump, and then over. So this was a whole journey we're walking with Jesus through. As he went town to town, and we see, and we're reading and studying the events as Jesus was in each town. What I want to make interesting is, right at this point, let's go back to the other map with the mountains. What many people don't realize, and we're going to get into this in the next few weeks, is the second calling of the disciples. So we know there's like six disciples, I think five, six, I can't remember exactly, they were already called. They were traveling with him, right? They were with him at the woman at the well. It was down south. But Jesus went to Nazareth, right, his hometown. The disciples didn't go with him. It's not written, but we know they went to their home in Capernaum, and he's going to meet up with them here as we're going to study in a few weeks. So when you see that calling, it's because they already went back to their house. So Jesus has now visited his family, and he was in Cana alone. He wasn't with the disciples at this time. So some people kind of get confused on how all that works out. Basically, Jesus just went town to town, but at one point they did split up for a while as the disciples went to their hometown. He went to his hometown, and now they're going to meet back up in a few weeks as we will get to. Uh, so let's continue. So that man, you've seen where he was at the bottom of the mountain, right, on the sea. That city was 20 miles up, it says. So the details, we don't know how it worked exactly, but I'm sure once this man heard about Jesus, he had hope. And I'm sure he ran as fast as he could 20 miles up the mountains. Now, I don't know how long it would take him. I know how long it would take me about. Um, that's at least five or six hours on the best day if it was true mountains. And that is probably double that for a person that's out of shape. Probably at least double that. <laughs> they say it's a one-day journey, but this is a one-day journey up the mountain. So it's a little bit different. But this man, you think about this man, this official. His son was dying. I think he ran with a hope in his heart, a hope that would drive a man to run that 20 miles, unlike anything he's probably done in his life. These passages tell us that after he's ran these 20 miles or however he's uh, run and walked and hiked, he made it up there and he found Jesus and he begged Jesus, heal my son. The text doesn't say, this is what I find interesting. If you look at the verses, the text never says that he went to Jesus and said, can you heal, heal my son? That's not what he said. He didn't say, can you heal him? No, he says, please heal him. 
He had faith and hope in Jesus already. It wasn't a matter in his heart if Jesus could do it. It's capable is would he? Out of pure desperation that we could all maybe imagine, this man was standing before Jesus, and I don't think he was standing. He was pleading with Jesus, believing Jesus could heal his son. Let's see what Jesus is going to do in verse 48, back in John chapter 5. Jesus asked, Will you ever believe in me unless you see miraculous signs and wonders? Faith. What brings a person to believe? Or what will it take for you, each individually, to trust and believe in Jesus? Maybe you can look at your own testimony, or maybe some of you are not Christians, and you're, well, maybe you can answer that question. What will it take for you to trust and believe in Jesus? I read this question several times, trying to interpret in my mind. I mean, this is the passage for the whole thing. What does this mean? It's red letters. This is the whole point of this story. What does it mean? I, I was reading about it. I was praying about it. I was actually talking to Christian about it. Why is Jesus, Jesus asking this man who just ran in hope and pure desperation in faith, believing Jesus could heal his son if he will believe? What do you think? Why? Why did Jesus say this? Let's look at the verse again. Look at verse 48. Jesus asked, Will you ever believe in me unless you see miraculous signs and wonders? As I read this verse, I see two parts. First question you see is, will you believe? Statement, question. And then Jesus continues, he points out that many others will believe if Jesus can do a miracle. Believing Jesus can do miracles and believing in Jesus as your Lord and Savior is different. It's very different. Jesus asked this man, and he asked all of us if we will believe. In this statement, will you believe? Will you come to faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Maybe there's even some here today that have not accepted Jesus in their heart. And they're saying, Jesus, if you will just do this for me or that for me, then I will believe. Then I will make you Lord of my life. Then I will commit myself and surrender to you. This is what this is about. It's a fact. Today, Jesus still performs signs and wonders. But our faith is based on who Jesus is. And what he has already done. He's given his own life in our place, paying our sin. It's not based on what miracles he can perform for us. It's not how the relationship works. A commentary said it like this, David Guzik. Jesus rebuked those who depended on signs and wonders before they would believe. It might seem that Jesus was harsh towards this man who wanted his son healed. But he encountered many in Galilee who were only interested only in his miracles. He therefore questioned this man accordingly. To me, it's a hard issue, a true hard issue. Will you believe because of what Jesus has done for you, dying on the cross, what he's already done for you? Or will you say, Jesus, will you perform for me today, and then I'll believe? Will you believe in the word of Jesus? This is really what it gets down to. Will you believe in the word of Jesus? So what will this official's response be to Jesus? What is your response? Let's look at verse 49. The official pleaded, Lord, please come now before my little boy dies. This man was still in a place of total surrender. He's pleading. He's heard this rebuke. 
from Jesus. And I believe he believed. He believed in Jesus' word. Not just in the miracle, but of what Jesus said. Jesus knew this man's faith was genuine. It wasn't through a miracle that he would come to believe. But it was through Jesus' word that he came to faith to believe. That Jesus could heal. Again, let me read that again. Jesus knew this man's faith was genuine. It wasn't through the miracle that this man would believe. But through Jesus' word, he would believe that Jesus could heal. It's important. There's a difference. And this is the kind of faith that Jesus is seeking from each one of us. So this man is crying to Jesus still. But Jesus knew his heart. Please. Because he does believe, but he doesn't understand everything. I mean, you can imagine this man's mental. I mean, his son was dying. And he knew. He knew Jesus could heal him. Begging him. Please. So let's see Jesus' response to this man in verse 50. Then Jesus told him, go back home. Your son will live. And the man believed what Jesus said and started home. The man believed the word of Jesus. Jesus proclaimed the truth, then instructs the man, then the official responds to Jesus' word and obeys. This man came to faith and believed in Jesus through his word. Then, in faith, he started to walk back to his home, to his son. Can you imagine this walk of faith? Talk about a walk of faith. Can you imagine? Step by step in faith. Believing Jesus' word is true as he's heading back home. I, you know, I think all of us have experienced a walk in faith of some sort, something in our own lives. That Jesus' word has been spoken to us through scripture, or maybe another way, and we walk that out in faith. This was a big one. I mean, this was big. We believe God's word, but guess what happens when that happens? In every one of us, I think it happens for everyone. Whenever we're walking out in faith, believing God's word, walking step by step, what happens? Satan, he comes up. He pours out lies, attacking the word of God, the truth of God. I believe this man, he believed. Let's see what will take place next in verse 51 through 54. While the man was on his way, some of the servants met him with the news that his son was alive and well. He asked them, when the boy had begun to get better, and they replied, Yesterday afternoon at one o'clock, his fever suddenly disappeared. Then the father realized that it was the very time Jesus had told him, Your son will live. And he and his entire household believed in Jesus. This was the second miraculous sign Jesus did in Galilee after coming from Judea. Think about this, what we just read. Some commentaries that I respect very highly have different opinions on this. Um, they, I've read several of them, and I disagree with them. See what you think. You make up your own conclusions. They say that this man's faith was so strong that he wasn't even concerned with going home right away. There's lots of commentaries that say that. He just believed, he knew his son was healed, and he just waited around to leave. Because it says the next day. I see this differently. First, I don't think that's really who we are as people. Um, But I see it differently. In verse 50, it says that he started home right away. There's one thing. Uh, So he did start home right away. So I can come up with two possibilities. In my, there's probably more. I'll just give you two. The the third one was that 
Um, he just had so much faith, he just knew he was healed and waited. I think that, here's my first one, the official stayed the night because along his, it was probably getting dark. He had already traveled 20 miles, and it wasn't safe to travel at night. So I'm sure he was very tired and already walked 20 miles. So that takes us the next day. That's one real possibility. The second possibility, if you look at the text real close, if you look at the question that's asked in verse 52, it says, he, he asked them when the boy had begun to get better, and they replied. When the official, I think he asked this question when he was with his son the next day. Everybody assumes that question is asked when he met the servants on the way. Why couldn't it have been when he's sitting by with his son that next day? Could be. I mean, we don't know for sure. Um, if it was during the walk back, or maybe he asked that question when he got back, because he's like seeing his son healed now. And then he's starting to, you know, he's going through his mind, he's figuring out how all this worked. So he could have figured it out then. I'm not really sure. Um, what we do know for sure, how, we don't know exactly how it worked, but we know God did give this man a real special assurance to him in this, didn't he? He showed him that it was not coincidence that his son fever had broke at the exact time that Jesus said, your son will live. It was a miracle from God. And Jesus gave him that assurance later. I love how Jesus does that so often in our life. Jesus gave him this revelation that the exact time that Jesus said, your son will live, was when the servant said, the boy's fever broke. I'm sure as he walked in faith back and Satan was speaking lies this man's faith, I'm sure he remained steadfast, but Jesus blessed him with his confirmation. I love how Jesus does that for us so often. He does this so we can build up our faith or increase that we know it was Jesus, so we don't believe them lies at times. But he did this afterwards. I just love when we're allowed to be a part, to see a bigger picture that more is revealed to us later and see Looking back how Jesus was working through the whole thing and confirmation is given. For me, I shared a little last week. My faith began with believing in the word of God. To believe in Jesus' word. And it grows. As we go, as we, go, as we walk, walk as Christians, our faith grows. And as my eyes are open personally to the things of the world and the things that Jesus is doing, I can see these things now where I didn't see them before. Maybe I would have seen him before as coincidence. I don't believe in that anymore. Jesus has revealed me personally more and more as I am faithful. I want to look at the results of this man's faith as he shared the truth of who Jesus is and what he did. What happened? His entire house also came to faith. That's a big part of this story. This man testified of Jesus' word that it was true. And then, after he believed it was true, he witnessed a physical proof his son was healed. We each, we, we place our faith in the word of God. We have it right here in our laps, most of us. And then we take that, what is in the word of God, and we walk that out in our lives, step by step, in the different things that we have, each of us. And often, as we go and we walk step by step in faith, Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, reveals more and more to us, as in this story. Then, we see with this guy, he was called then to share with those around him, as this man did. He didn't keep this truth to himself. He didn't keep this miracle to himself. He didn't maybe need to tell everyone, 
about Je- I mean, he didn't need to tell everyone. But for him, as we each are called to do, we are called to proclaim the miracles that Jesus has done. We are to worship Jesus for what he has done. Then we are to lead others and talk to others so they may also find the hope that each of us have found in Jesus. And that's what this man has done. If we go clear back to the beginning of this story, we read of a man who had done everything worldly possible, everything within his own power to save his son. I can't, again, I, I can't even imagine the desperation and the hopelessness this man must have felt. Then hope was given to him through hearing the testimony about Jesus Christ. You hear that worked? Hope was given to him through hearing the testimony, the miracles that Jesus was performing. Then he, what did he do? He ran to Jesus, facing many obstacles. This was a hope that would drive a man to do anything to save his son. We know he sought out Jesus. He found him. He begged Jesus, help me. Remember Jesus? He responded to him, well, you never believe in me unless you see miraculous signs and wonders. Well, we, Jesus, I think, was speaking to this man, but I think he was speaking to the entire area of Galilee, the people. He's speaking to us today. Well, we keep asking for signs or, well, we come to faith through the word of God. The official believed Jesus' words and then witnessed a miracle. Jesus further allowed this man to see, to be assured that it was Jesus who did this. He gave him confirmation, as I'm sure there's always them seeds of doubt. I don't, we all have it. But Jesus again, he confirmed it. It was this time. It was me that did this. And then after this, after the result of Jesus, of him believing in Jesus' word, we said the signs, a miracle, and that, that then in turn increased and brought others to faith and to believe. So the question I have to ask myself, and I can ask you, well, we believe in God's word, his promises, his commands, and follow after Jesus based on his word, what he has spoken, without physical or worldly confirmation. So often, we see something in the word, maybe the Holy Spirit reveals it to us, and we go like, oh, God, show me, show me a sign. Show me proof. This guy didn't have any proof, and he ran after Jesus. Are we living out our faith, obedient to the word, outside of worldly conditions or signs or wonders? As you think about this question, I want to turn to Romans. Romans chapter 10, verse 16. For not everyone welcomes the good news. For Isaiah the prophet said, Lord, who has believed our message? So faith comes from hearing, that is, hearing the good news about Christ. But I ask, have the people of Israel actually heard the message? Yes, they have. The message has gone throughout the earth, and the word to all the world. If God's word, our Bible, is truly the foundation of our faith, we're going to endure trials. We can come back to this, and we can always trust God's word. As we walk through the world, just like this guy was walking, as we face all the different spiritual attacks, as we try to live out God's word in our lives, 
we can always come back to the foundational truths that God has given us. One last passage I want to look at before we close. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11, 11 through 14. But you, Timothy, are a man of God. So run from all these evil things. Pursue righteousness and a godly life. Along with faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight for the true faith. Hold tightly to the eternal life to which God has called you, which you have declared so well before many witnesses. And I charge you before God, who gives life to all, and before Christ Jesus, who gave a good testimony before Pontius Pilate, that you obey this command without wavering, that no one can find fault from you from now until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. Just as this official son was dying, there's people all around us today that are dying, isn't there? They're going to die, and they're going to face judgment. They're going to face the penalty for their sin. Just as this person was dying in this story, the father had found hope that he could have life. And he did what he was going to do whatever it took to reach Jesus. I pray that each one of us today would leave here and we would share the truth of God's word with the same heart, the same faith that this official showed in these passages. With the same desperation that I'm surely this man felt that we would have for the lost as he had for his son. And he would do anything to save his son. Jesus did everything to save us. And he calls us to have that same heart. Knowing where the lost will face eternity. If they don't come to faith in Jesus. I see a picture here of this man that's just beautiful to me. He would have done anything. Anything. And he did it. Simply through the word the testimony of who Jesus was. Then he was able to witness and be a part of an amazing miracle. Then he even got confirmation of that miracle. But then he went out and shared. He shared the truth of what Jesus had done. And many came to believe. It's a picture, I think, for us today that we can all follow, that we will believe the word of God, that we will get out there, and we will evangelize. And this, again, this is a season, Christmas season, We have such amazing opportunities right now. Get out and invite people to church. If that's anyone, some people like I hear, and I don't agree with you, but you say I'm not an evangelist. We're all called to evangelize. You can grab one of them flyers and you can hand it to your neighbor. You can do that. That's the easy way to evangelize. Or you can go to the mall. I mean, who doesn't want to go to the mall? And you can go there and you can have a handful of cards with you as they're leading Christmas carols in worship. Or maybe you are gifted really with the gift of evangelism and you can go out and you can speak to people and share the hope of Jesus and share the word of God with people because it's only through the word of God that lives will ever be changed I think miracles are great and signs are great and I've been a, uh, I can testify to many different miracles and signs but it's the word of God who changed my life and it's the word of God that my faith is based on and then we're privileged as believers if our eyes open spiritually to see how God is working among us and we get to see these Miracles and signs at different times in our lives. And we can testify how God isn't good. But again, I just thank you guys today. Again, I want to go back to last week's message also. Please, use this time. Make sure you're right 
with God, get right with God, and go out there and evangelize and share the hope of Jesus with the lost. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time. Lord, I just want to pray that each one of us, Lord, would have this heart, this faith, this belief that this man had, simply by hearing your word, Lord, to seek you out and beg you, Lord. Lord, I just thank you, Lord, for this story in the Bible, Lord, and how you saw him. And you asked him, will you believe by the word, as you rebuked others for saying, what will you do for me, Lord? Show me a sign. Show me a miracle. Because, Lord, today we stand here on the other side of this cross, on the other side of the cross, and we know what you've done, that you died on the cross. You gave your life for each one of us, Lord, paying the price for our sins. And then, defeating sin, defeating death, being resurrected from the grave, Lord, as we see a living God, Lord. So, Lord, we just thank you, Lord. I just pray for your Holy Spirit just be outpoured through this community. That, Lord, we'd have a heart and passion and desire, Lord, and a desperation to go speak to the lost and share the hope of Jesus, knowing, knowing the eternity they will face. So, Lord, place this burden on our hearts. Let us see the lost as you've seen us. Let us give the grace that you gave us, Lord. Let us love others like you loved us. And Lord, I just praise you and thank you for this opportunity, Lord. Please, Lord, just continue to bless your church and watch over all of us. In Jesus' name, amen.